This is the London Live Podcast. Listen live weekdays from 1 to 3 on 980 CFPL. If you do any kind of travel, even if it's a little overnight business trip, even if it is to visit family but you don't want to stay in their basement and you wind up staying in a hotel, if you do that and you have a night in a hotel, it, it always feels good, doesn't it? it? It just, there's a feeling about walking into a hotel room. I'm a huge fan. You bring your kids into a hotel room for the first time. They're so excited. We're sleeping in beds that we've never slept in before. Look at the view. We're on the 14th floor. They're running around all over the place. Free soap. Well, we have seen the hotel industry definitely hit hard by COVID-19. Not because you can't go and stay in a hotel. In fact, we're getting more and more stories of people who have done just that and have said, it was amazing. You know, they had it as clean as it needed to be. There were all kinds of protocols followed, all kinds of precautions. And you hear those things, but still, but still, what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to not go out if we don't have to go out. We're definitely not taking trips to visit people. If they are in a different city, you're not supposed to get together with people like that. We're doing what we can to minimize the spread of the virus. But at the same time, Think of it this way. What if you were able to go to a city or bring someone to your city? And what if they were able to stay in a hotel and you could meet and socially distance outside and just see them in person? And they would have, what were we looking for yesterday, something to look forward to. Huh? Well, Tourism London, I think, is making this happen. Joining us right now is someone who will fill us in on exactly what is going on with the Stay a Little Longer campaign. Please welcome to London Live, Natalie Wakabayashi, the Director of Culture and Entertainment Tourism with Tourism London. Natalie, how you doing? I'm well, thanks, Mike. How are you? You know what? I'm, I'm okay. I'm missing hotel stays. So this, this is piquing my interest, even if I'm only going down the street to stay in a hotel. I think I could look forward to something like that. Tell us what the Stay a Little Longer campaign is all about, please. Well, hey, haven't we all earned a little bit of a vacation or even a staycation this year? I think we've all had it rough in our own way, shape, or form. And I think, you know, Tourism London, no doubt our partners are the hotels here, and they are used to events all summer and all fall think minor sports organizations think tournaments think music events all of that stuff and none of it's happening so we had some uh, recovery funds that we received through FedDev, and we put together this campaign we reached out to all of our hotel partners asked who would want to be a part of it and uh, we had 18 partners sign on board which was fantastic so it's as simple as that. We're encouraging you to stay a little longer in the Forest City. So purchase a consecutive two-night stay, and we'll pay for one of those nights for you. Um, the hotel will still get the income, which is great for them because they definitely have been hurting. You as the tourist, whether it's in your own town or you're visiting from another area coming to London, uh, you get a little bit of a discount that hopefully then you spend in other ways while you're here in London. So we're hoping that uh, this one does a little bit to, to jumpstart some of that economy there. Hey, this is brilliant. And it will show just how hotels are operating within the pandemic. And again, talk to somebody who stayed in one. They come back really impressed, maybe because they go thinking, uh, I don't know. And then you go, wow, that this worked out brilliantly. So we would book 
two nights, two consecutive nights in a participating hotel, and we only have to pay for one of them. This, this, I'm understanding this right. It, it's kind of like a two-for-one deal without calling it that? For sure, yeah. Now, obviously, there's some taxes and fees on top, but they're pretty minimal. We're taking away the cost of the room for one of the nights for you. So encouraging you to come and visit, or if you're from London, like I said, to book a little staycation. It's a great thing to do, like you mentioned off the top, with family members or friends who are maybe from outside of the city that aren't in your bubble, but you'd still like to see and can safely do outdoors using some distanced activities. But a great way to bring them to the city and have it be safe where they maybe don't have to stay with you. You know, our our hotel partners have done such a tremendous job to stay ahead and be on par with all of the COVID safety protocols. And we're so proud of all of the lengths and measures that they've gone to. And just like you said, anyone that I know that has stayed in London um, has just raved about how safe that they felt and the quality of service that they received from the hotel. So we're so excited that our hotel partners are leading the way in that, and we're happy to promote them and encourage uh, individuals to, like I said, stay a little longer. Natalie Wakabayashi with us, Director of Culture and Entertainment Tourism with Tourism London. Natalie, how do we find out about the participating locations? Yeah, we've got it all on a site set up for you. So you just visit londontourism.ca backslash the word stay, S-T-A-Y. And uh, it's got the full list of participating hotels, any rules or regulations, just so that you're aware of how it all works. And uh, you can click through and each hotel's got its own little page built, so you'll be able to learn a little bit more about them. And we've even included some activities to eat, see, and do while you're staying at those hotels that are within within the area. So giving you even a jump start on planning that itinerary. When we have very little to look forward to, Natalie, you're giving us something to look forward to. Thank you for this. Uh, you're welcome, Mike. Thanks so much. We'll talk soon. Sounds great. That is Natalie Wakabayashi. Don't you miss hotels? I miss hotels. I'm, the more I listen to Natalie, the more I'm thinking, let's just do this. Let's Even if we're going down the street, let's just do this. We need things to look forward to. That's kind of been a goal of London Live this week, to find some of those things. So as much as this is not saying, hey, we've got friends in Vancouver, we'll go to Vancouver. You are in your own town, but this, as we go back to the start of the pandemic and go through the summer, This was an opportunity for us to realize what we had in our own area, right? And a lot of people did little day trips and, you know, you could talk to people who said, hey, there's this, I don't know whether it was whitewater rafting, but there's this rafting thing that you can do that's not very far away. We didn't know about this, but because you're looking in your own backyard, you're finding it. Or a houseboat tour that allows you to rent a houseboat and kind of go up through the Kawarthas. Who knew that was there? These are things that we're kind of finding out, and in this case, you know, you're not going to be on the water in November or December or January, unless you can find some water to skate on by then, but this gives us that opportunity, something to look forward to. The Stay a Little Longer campaign, courtesy of Tourism London. So head to their website, Tourism London. .ca backslash stay and you can find all kinds of information and maybe get some tips on things to do that you haven't done in a while or maybe have never done at all that are right here in our very own area. Let's take a quick break. We are going to get to long-term care once again. This is something that we want to keep tabs on 
as much as possible. Dr. Ivy Borgo is going to join us, and we're going to deal with how things look from her perspective. This is something she's been following very closely. We love when people put London on the map, and our next guest has done just that. Please welcome Aaron Quigley to London Live, author of Other London, and who knows, maybe more coming up in the future. Aaron, thanks so much for being here. How are you? I'm good. Good. You are a self-described coffee addict, so type of coffee. What Do you make your own? Does it have to come from anywhere, or does it just have to be coffee? Um, I'm not super picky about it. I'd prefer a good blonde roast, but uh, currently my coffee stock is actually from Fire Roasted. So, Hey! Yeah. Even more London. I love it. That's fantastic. Well... Coffee can, I'm sure, be very helpful for anyone who is looking to write a book and all of a sudden gets into a groove and needs to just stay in that groove. Let's talk a little bit about Other London and the story behind writing it, because this is fascinating. First off, let's talk about the genre that you write in. Okay. Um, I am primarily writing a modern fantasy. I know that uh, the official website for the book listed as urban fantasy, but uh, I'm not sure what's urban about London, Ontario. We've got a bit of urban. Maybe it's go to like <laughs> Sundance and Richmond. Um, <laughs> uh, so I tend to refer to it as modern fantasy. And um, it's uh, just a bit of a misadventure of a young girl who becomes a wizard's apprentice in London, Ontario, in an alternate history where magic and interdimensional travel have been a thing on Earth since the 70s. Love it. All right. So this can go in a whole lot of directions then. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about how you actually got from having an idea for something like this to actually putting it down and creating a book and... The tie to Comic-Con. How does Comic-Con work into this story? So maybe about like three, four years ago, I started writing on a whim a story that was first planned to be a video game. I know nothing about programming. That wasn't going to go anywhere. Then was then planned to be a comic book. I am not nearly good enough an artist. I don't have the drawing stamina for that. And I eventually just started writing it as a book. And very close to it being done, I went to Forest City Comic Con and I ran into uh, Catherine Fitzsimmons at Brainlag and I, I said to her, I'm almost done this book. Uh, can I send it to you? And she says, yeah, sure. That sounds interesting. And she hands me the business card. And I forget all about this encounter, actually, and go on my merry way for another year of trying to wrap up writing the book. And I finally do. And I, um, you had the I business card. It, yeah, I had the business card. I found it uh, in an old purse. Actually, I was like cleaning out my purses, trying to find all the stuff that I had lost in them, and I found it. And I went, "Oh, oh, okay, never mind. Let's just send it to them." So I did, and uh, 
this was surprisingly the first time I had sent off the book because normally you get a lot of rejection letters for uh, publishing, at least I've heard. Um, I've heard people who like don't get published for years upon years because they keep trying to uh, market to specific people or because they uh, go to a whole bunch of different places and none of them are looking for that. Uh, and they took me on right away at BrainLag and I do not regret a single thing. Okay, so we're talking right now with Aaron Quigley, who's the author of Other London. You can check it out as a book. You can visit otherlondonbooks.com, and you can find Aaron on Twitter, at Aaron, which is E-R-Y-N-N-Q, so at Aaron Q. So this this business card is making a life for itself in some purse somewhere. Was this a, a bag that you didn't use very often or a purse you didn't use very often? Was there just a moment where you said, you know, I should open that? I'm not especially feminine in a lot of ways. Uh, I don't do a lot of really girly things. I don't tend to apply a lot of, like, traditionally girly things, like applying a lot of makeup or being terribly concerned about my appearance. I have not brushed my hair today. I will. I don't think I did yesterday either. But um, um, I have a lot of bags. I have a lot of bags. I like bags a lot. I like bags because I like being able to carry around things like my phone, my tablet, my uh, occasionally a game system. I love having bags. And as such, occasionally I will go and find like, occasionally I'll just have to go through all my bags and make sure I didn't forget anything in them when I change between them. Cause I just flip between them as I, want a bigger or smaller uh, space to carry things around in. So, And so you open this up, you see the business card, and next thing you know, it opens up the opportunity. Or, or did it just kind of say to you, yeah, this is what's supposed to happen. I should send this book to this person right now. Um, I picked it up. I called the number on it. I was incredibly awkward. I stuttered quite a bit. Um, and... Uh, on the other hand, I, I assume Catherine from Brainlag, and she uh, uh, was just like, yeah, sure, send it in again. And I was just like, oh, okay. So I spent about a week, like, crunching down and trying to figure everything out, uh, out and just making sure I stopped waffling on a bunch of things. And then I sent it in. And what I do you know? Unlike Dr. Seuss and, you know, the 26 rejections, uh, you went one for one, and you've got yourself a published book, Other London. You can visit otherlondonbooks.com. We're talking with Aaron Quigley right now. And so this has been published. What is it like to find out that, yeah, you, uh, you've you got a book here that, that we want to go forward with? What is that moment like? I was in coffee culture on uh on dundas street over, over by dundas and wellington uh i was in coffee culture over by dundas and wellington and i found out and they they said yeah we, we want to do the thing um um and i had to stop myself from crying because i i was so close to uh i was in one of those corner seats i was so close to um, some other people who were working on schoolwork in some other seats and some other things. I was just like, oh, God, I need to sob, but I need to sob my tears of joy. But there are people working on their college work, like, all around me. I cannot distract them. 
<laughs> well, I'm, I'm sure you saw some tears of joy and then felt some other emotions of joy. You've got yourself a published book. What's the reaction been? Uh, to the book, uh, most yeah. people are very excited that I have a sequel planned because most people got to the end and were disappointed that it ended. Could a sequel turn into a series? Oh, it's definitely going to be a series at this point. That's outstanding. Well, it is called Other London. And again, you, you describe this as uh, unlike what, what it says on on the website for the publisher, what it, what is it that you would describe it as for a genre? It is a middle grade modern fantasy. It's, um, I guess it's supposed to be for uh, kids about 10 to, 10 to 13, but most adults who have read it and a couple of grandparents and other people have really liked it. So uh, take a look at it. If you like London, if you like fantasy, if you like shenanigans, there's some good shenanigans. There's good shenanigans. There is a talking cat, and the talking cat pulls shenanigans. I love talking cats that pull shenanigans. That that should be in every book. I'm so happy to hear that it is in your book. Aaron, this has been a lot of fun. We'll have to talk when the sequel comes out, and it'll be great to follow your career. Uh, J.K. Rowling, anybody? I, I hope it works out that way for you. Yeah, hopefully. I mean, hopefully I don't turn out to be as awful as she did. But. No, and yeah, as I said that, I thought, you know, maybe the maybe just the, the literature side of J.K. Rowling, <laughs> yeah. not so much the, the personal side of J.K. Rowling. That's a very good point. Thank you for that. I have a few friends uh, who have been marketing my book to people by saying, Aaron's going to usurp J.K. Rowling. So... <laughs> Well, we need another fantasy type thing. And you know what? In times like this, fantasy literature is so important. The escape that you provide is outstanding. And the fact that it ties to our very own city is much appreciated. Aaron, thanks for putting us on the map again. Good luck with everything. We'll talk soon. Thank you. That's Aaron Quigley, author of Other London. Check it out at otherlondonbooks.com. And you can certainly, you know, do some early holiday shopping. How about that? We're supposed to get things in the mail. We heard from Canada Post, get them in the mail early. This is an opportunity to do just that and give somebody a whole lot of escape for the holidays. Might need it by then. But we're going to stick with the sports world because there are a couple of major things to talk about from the World Series yesterday. One is how the game of baseball is being played on some levels. And if there was no pandemic, this would be the topic. The fact that sometimes numbers, and the Blue Jays do this, but sometimes numbers seem to dictate how a game will play itself out, even though those numbers cannot predict what the score will be at any time during the game. Usually, that's where managerial intuition comes in, and you've got those managers that will make just the right switch at just the right time. And we always remember the good ones, and we certainly talk about the bad ones. And last night, I had one of those bad ones. Last night, though, also had a positive COVID-19 test that was revealed during the game to the point that Justin Turner and his beard from the L.A. Dodgers had to leave the game. And then he was seen and photographed celebrating on the field after the game, even though he had 
tested positive for COVID-19. Lots to get to here, so let's talk with Ben Nicholson-Smith from Sportsnet.ca. Ben, did you enjoy last night, or did you sit there with your your jaw kind of open a couple of times? Yeah, a bit of both. I mean, it's definitely fun to watch the World Series, right? And I think every year you look forward to it, you hope for a good series. This year we definitely got a really compelling series between two good teams. Um, had some great games like that comeback in game four. You know, last night, I think just the way it ended, right? You know, not only the Snell decision, which I think everyone's talking about today, but then to see Justin Turner go out onto the field, it kind of makes you cringe. And it, it does, you know, put a, a little bit of a, a sour note to the end of a season that really Major League Baseball, by and large, did a good job of walking that line and then at the very end you know I, I guess people let their guards down the Dodgers certainly did Major League Baseball did Justin Turner did and it, it, it is kind of troubling to see uh, that happen in such a public way and and, and and certainly for those people in the organization you kind of wonder what's going to happen next yeah I mean let's kind of look at what we know about the Justin Turner situation so He'd had a test, and, and did the first one come back inconclusive? Is that what happened? Yeah, so I, I, it depends on who you ask and where you see the, the reporting. I've seen it uh, described as inconclusive. I've also seen it said that it's a positive. You would think either way, whether it's inconclusive or positive, probably err on the side of caution, treat it as a positive. And if that means one player can't celebrate in the dog pile, well, that's just the way 2020 goes sometimes. Exactly, but we have video, and thanks to Rob for sending along the video, that shows him out there, and and I haven't watched the video yet, but Rob says he was even kissing somebody. So uh, he was was, tested positive. He was removed from the game, so removed from the game, and that right in itself is just a very COVID-19 thing to have happen, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah, and that is is the right call. You know, once you get that information, you take him out of the game, you replace him, and we were wondering, everyone, I think, from afar, why did the Dodgers take Justin Turner out? Because he's a pretty good defender, so it's not like you take him out for for a better defensive player. Um, So at that point, it makes sense, and he should have been in uh, just an isolation room on his own, essentially, Um, and obviously it didn't unfold that way, and it, it just underscores, I mean, as much as... You know, Major League Baseball was looking for a kind of bubble-like environment. It wasn't the same hard bubble that the NHL and NBA came up with. So there's not total isolation for these players. And, and as we saw, COVID-19 made its way into that bubble for at least one player and, and potentially more people. Wow. Okay, so I don't know how much we will hear uh, because the season is over and done with. Would you expect that the Dodgers or Major League Baseball would be the first to run to a podium and say, hey, you know that thing with Justin Turner on the field there? Okay, well, here's the aftermath if there does happen to be one. Would you expect they would kind of avoid that completely? Yeah, I would expect them to avoid it. You know, as much as they've sent out their their testing numbers on a regular basis, if there haven't been well, until Turner tested positive, uh, there, there was a long time where no player had tested positive in Major League Baseball. I think it was dated back to August when, of course, the Cardinals and Marlins had their outbreak. So they were on a good run for a while. I'm not expecting Major League Baseball is going to be especially forthcoming when it comes to, hey, these five players and these three staff members ended up getting it. Um, I, I know they'll get questions about it because th- this is a huge story, but 
um, you know, I'm not I'm not anticipating full clarity on this front. We are talking with Ben Nicholson-Smith from Sportsnet.ca. So that's one side of things, the COVID-19 side of things. Baseball did make it through to a champion, and uh, the way that the season started, you would have been surprised with what happened initially with the Miami Marlins, that that might even take place. So they made it there. The other thing to look back at from last night, Ben, is the way that baseball can work. Not everybody's like this, but the way that it can work. And you mentioned Blake Snell, and this guy is a left-hander, and everything he was throwing seemed to be going exactly where he wanted it to go. He just had the Dodgers hitters, who are incredible for the most part, on a string, and then all of a sudden he gets taken out of the game by Rays manager Kevin Cash. How much of that decision do you think does come down to the simple analytics of, hey, it's time? Yeah, I, I think that that decision definitely would have been grounded a lot in analytics and in what the numbers say, you know, third time through the order. I, I think part of it too, you know, as as much as, as much as, you know, people look at this through an analytics lens. I think some of it is just, you know, workload. What are the alternatives available? And so workload would be Blake Snell at no point this year pitched six innings. So, it, you know, he was basically a four or five inning guy this year. So that's, that's part of the, what would have gone into it. And then also after the off day, the Rays had a full bullpen. So it was their plan going in to rely heavily on the bullpen obviously it, it didn't work. And this is a decision that Kevin Cash will have to live with and the Rays will have to live with, partly because of analytics for sure, partly because of who else was available, and partly, I think, because of just where Snell was at this season. You know, he wasn't a 7 inning guy at any point in 2020. Wow. And, you know, the, you wonder if seeing what happened – Ben, how do you see that playing out in that it didn't work? This didn't work. And sometimes in the past in baseball, you'd have that, well, the pitcher that started the game maybe puts a base runner on, maybe has a couple of base runners on, and you see whether they can, quote, pitch out of it. And that didn't even seem to be a thing for the Tampa Bay Rays at all in the playoffs. And they've done some, you know, some unique, some creative things with their pitching staff, even going back to the openers that they would use kind of before everybody else. What do you think the, the result of last night might say to teams that like to use those analytics and like to look at things that may have prompted the removal of Blake Snell? I'm, I'm kind of leaning and, and looking at the Blue Jays here. Well, it's very reminiscent of the Blue Jays. And I think we talked about it after the uh, Matt Shoemaker decision. You know, he's pulled after three innings. Robbie Ray comes in. And, and of course, Robbie Ray allowed that triple to Randy Rosarenga, who we didn't know it at the time, but he was about to have this huge monster October. Um, it's certainly reminiscent for the Blue Jays. I think the Yankees fans who are watching this will say the exact same thing, both Davey Garcia and Jay Happ, which happened uh, against the Rays in the NLCS. It's pretty widespread around around baseball, and I, so I don't think it's unique to Tampa Bay or to Toronto. We saw the Dodgers in the clinching game of the World Series do a bullpen game, so they're absolutely <laughs> embracing analytics. And I guess you know you could look at it through a couple of lenses here. You could say, on the one hand, look, this didn't work. This was an example of a manager who didn't trust his eyes enough and who didn't let a pitcher who was dealing throw deep enough to into a game, and the, you know the the kind of example of the manager who trusts his gut and trusts that instinct would be a guy like Dusty Baker, who, you know, one of the great moments of this postseason was when he stuck with Zach Greinke, and Greinke 
ended up rewarding him with a, a great performance. So I, I think, you know, there's room to question Cash's decision um, and, and to say that, you know, the Rays got in their own way a little bit there. And I, I'm open to that argument. I think that there's a compelling argument to be made on that side. On the other hand, you could look at this and, and say this team that doesn't spend any money and that you know doesn't have any of the resources that the Dodgers would have still took the Dodgers to a sixth game in the World Series because this is how they managed their team all year long. And they had workload, uh, management. A guy like Snell wasn't going seven innings in the regular season. So he was able to be healthy and actually provide the Rays with those good innings in a must-win game in the World Series. So, you know, I, I think that it's worth at least keeping that in mind, that the Rays did this all the time, and it led them to the World Series, and it led them to a sixth game against the best team in baseball. Um, but obviously it didn't work, so that explanation isn't, gonna, isn't going to make any Rays fans feel any better. Well, they came close, and pretty soon we'll only remember that the Dodgers won the World Series and maybe that Justin Turner returned to the dugout and had a mask on and pulled the mask down and ran out on the field. What a wild, wild year. Before we let you go, and we're talking with Ben Nicholson-Smith from Sportsnet.ca. Anything catching your eye from the Blue Jays or anything you're looking forward to watching in the offseason about the Blue Jays? Yeah, you know, I think this will be an interesting offseason for the Jays. Kind of for the first time in a while, they have a good team that they're starting with. And so it's a matter of reinforcing that team and adding on to that team as opposed to trying to create it in the first place, trying to build it up in the first place. So right now they're in a much better position than they have been for the past couple of off seasons. They know what they need. I mean, it's a long list. They need pitching both in the rotation and in the bullpen. They could use a bat. They could use some bench help. You know, you look at the depth of teams like the Dodgers and Rays, and it just reinforces how many good players you need to win. So the Jays have a lot of work ahead, um, but, uh, but I think they're in a good position at the same time to add some significant pieces in the course of this offseason. And, you know, within a few days, that window will open up and we'll be able to start following that action. Well, we will look forward to that. Thanks for the coverage on the World Series and on on the Blue Jays, and certainly thanks for helping us out today. Ben, all the best, and uh, enjoy what now plays out on the business side of baseball. Looking forward to it. Thanks, Mike. Anytime. That's Ben Nicholson-Smith from Sportsnet.ca. So analytics do matter, but at the same time, you, you, can't, you can't live and die by them. It does take the fun away. It really does. But Ben makes a good point. The Dodgers didn't really have a starter last night. They didn't have a, a pitcher that they planned to use throughout the entire game. They were making changes to their pitching almost right off the bat. And it ended up working. They held the Rays to one run. And so they largely won the World Series because they kept the Rays' bats from building, what, a 6 nothing lead. If all of a sudden Blake Snell is pitching with a 6 nothing lead, I don't think he minds coming out of the game. I don't think the Rays mind taking him out of the game. But it was a one nothing game, and it didn't work out at all. Nick Anderson came in, surrendered a couple of runs, hadn't been pitching well in the playoffs. Why not leave the guy in who is doing well? And this is something that, you know, baseball can embrace all of their sabermetrics and all of their analytics and all of that stuff. But you can't script sports. And I think one of the best examples of that is right here in London. If you've ever watched Dale Hunter coach, you know that 
he goes based on what he is seeing in front of him after a puck drops. He can look and say, okay, well, based on whatever it is he wants to use, this guy should play with this guy and this guy. And these two should be a defense pairing. And this defense pairing should be out against this forward line from the opposition. And this you know, trio of players should not play more than 40 seconds or whatever you want to put in that would deal with data. But Dale gets behind that bench. He gets watching what's happening in a game. And he will put out a player. You'll you'll notice it right away. He will put out a player who he feels is going well more than his regular shift because if that player happens to score, all of a sudden the team gets a boost, and what do you know? They've got momentum, and they wind up giving themselves a good chance to win the game. Not based on percentage of winning or you know probability of winning any of that garbage because – He's looking and saying, "No, we're we're gonna we're gonna do everything we can." And if things aren't going well, it's not like he looks back and says, "Well, you know, the game plan <laughs> didn't work." That's not what he's going to say. We've seen Dale Hunter change his goalie in a hockey game, just not because of the way the goaltender is playing, but the way the team is playing in front of him. Because you want to wake up the team and say, "Look, I'm." I'm going to change him, and you're going to feel bad that this guy has been taken out of the game because you weren't playing well enough in front of him. And you see teams snap to it. And sometimes he will do things that change the course of a game that bring a championship, and it's based on, I've got to do something as a coach. He's not standing there with a calculator he's not figuring out what the probability is that anybody will score he's not looking at realigning his lines he's just looking well whatever we're doing isn't working right now or maybe this will work and he's got the courage to try it and that's what you need not just in sports but in life you don't have the courage to say I'm going to make this decision because I believe it's going to be the right decision. I believe something is is going to go right. In the 2016 Memorial Cup final, the Knights were down 2-1, and Christian Dvorak was going out to take a face-off because he took the defensive zone face-offs on one side of the ice. And Dale Hunter just said to him, hey, Devo, stay out. That was one of those intuition things. It's not working. Let's see if we can make something happen. And seconds later, the Knights scored and tied it. They won the game. They won the Memorial Cup. And Dale also has another story where Team Canada is tied 3-3 with Russia in the gold medal game of the World Juniors. And he looked down the bench, and Akil Thomas hadn't necessarily been playing a lot, and he thought, you know, I've seen that guy score in clutch situations. That's the kind of guy that doesn't mind the pressure. That's the kind of guy that can go out in a situation like this and make a difference. And so what does he do? He puts Akil Thomas on the ice. Next thing you know, Akil Thomas scores the gold medal winning goal. That kind of stuff has to be there. You can't reduce everything to planning. Vacations aren't fun when everything is planned, right? They're fun for the person who, who plans them out, maybe. But they're not fun. And life is not fun if you plan it to the nth detail. No. So baseball, come on. Last night should prove to you that, sure, you can make a plan, but you better be willing to deviate, or you might not win. Hopefully the Tampa Bay Rays can be an example of that. You've been listening to the London Live Podcast. 
Catch the show live on weekdays from 1 to 3. 